Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa from an African perspective. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa, Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Kenya's opposition leader urges people to stay away from work. And Zimbabwe's Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa rushed to hospital. In economics news, DRC reinstates VAT on imports for mining companies. And in sports news, South Africa's Casta Semenya retains world 800-meter crown. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Reports from Burkina Faso say security forces have killed three suspected attackers at a restaurant in central Ouagadougou. This after, gunmen killed 17 people and wounded eight at the Aziz Istanbul restaurant in the city centre last night in what appears to be a terrorist attack. Witnesses say gunmen opened fire on customers seated outside a hotel and restaurant. They are fears that the attack is the work of one of the affiliates of Al-Qaeda that are active in the Sahel region. The BBC's Alex Duval-Smith reports. Sporadic shots are still being heard. The government says it's treating the incident as a terrorist attack. The Aziz Istanbul is just a block and a half from where 30 people died in January 2016 when groups linked to Al-Qaeda staged an attack. Burkina Faso is part of the Sahel region, which has grown more and more unstable ever since Islamist groups occupied part of neighboring Mali in 2012. Kenya's defeated opposition leader Raila Odinga has given a defiant response to international calls for him to respect the results of last week's presidential election in the country, which was won by Uhuru Kenyatta. At a rally in Nairobi, he urged his supporters to boycott work. Odinga's ally, Senator James Orengo, called for peaceful action. All we want is justice. Zambia plans to drop treason charges against the country's main opposition leader and free him from prison. This follows a deal brokered by Commonwealth Secretary-General Patricia Scotland, government and legal sources. The United Party for National Development leader Hakiende Chilima and five others were arrested in April and charged with treason. This after Hichilima's convoy failed to make way for President Edgar Lungu's motorcade. Hichilima's trial had been due to begin, but two sources say the prosecution will apply to the court to discontinue the case. 
Nigeria's President Mohamedou Buhari, who has been in London for much of this year receiving unspecified medical treatment, says there has been a tremendous improvement in his health. His prolonged absence has sparked protests that he should either return to Nigeria or resign. After meeting Buhari in London, Nigeria's Special Assistant in Foreign Affairs, Abike Dibari Erawa, said Nigerians should be reassured. So we just appeal to Nigerians to continue to pray for Mr. President. He's going to come back, inshallah, to Nigeria to continue what he's been doing. And right now, there's really no vacuum. And Mr. President is happy about that, that the fact that you know, the acting president is doing the job with all diligence and responsibility. And finally, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation plans to spend more than 300 million U.S. dollars in Tanzania, the CN public health and poverty reduction programs. In an interview during his visit to Tanzania, Bill Gates stated that the country is a good example of the progress that can be made in the reduction of childhood deaths and poverty. The foundation has spent billions of dollars on aid projects worldwide in recent years, much of it in Africa. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The situation remains unpredictable in Kenya, where the country's electoral commission announced Uhuru Kenyatta had emerged victorious, defeating opposition leader Raila Odinga in presidential elections. Already, Raila Odinga has appealed to Kenyan workers to stay away from work and wait for a major announcement Tomorrow, James Shimangula has more. Kenya is still in the throes of mourning the death of dozens of people that are alleged to have died during running battles between security personnel and citizens protesting at the results of presidential election that saw Uhuru Kenyatta officially emerge victorious. The number of those killed remain conflicting, and as the count continues, the situation remains relatively unpredictable. A resident of Kisumu, one of opposition leader Raila Odinga's political strongholds on Lake Victoria, who preferred not to be named, sums up the impact of the running battles. We are staring at a humanitarian crisis. Most people get their daily bread from the businesses that they do, from the motorbikes that they ride. But basically there's nothing going on in Kisumu. This is very, very, very sudden. Because our people cannot do business because police are everywhere. And they're chasing people up to their houses, beating them. You have had rape cases like Obunga and Nyawita. Now, why must you be surrounded by policemen? The Kenyan branch of the International Red Cross had a difficult time in reaching places where either people were reported to have died or seriously injured, as its chief in Kenya, Abbas Guled, explains. Serious uh, fighting, I would say, between the police and the protesters, which made our work very difficult. And of course, there were lots of Kenyans out there 
calling on for the Red Cross to be out there. Our protection is our emblem, and, but we were out there most of the night uh, prepared to respond, which we did respond where we could have access, uh, but more importantly this morning we've had access to all areas. We had a bit of challenges in certain parts of the country in terms of access by young people having set up roadblocks, uh, largely on the road from uh, Awendo going to, all the way to Rongo and Migori, and we saw on the, um, the other side uh, in, in Kisumu, and also to a small extent in Nairobi, but after we talked to the young people, they realized who we were and they allowed us to have access. Shedding light on the dead bodies that they came across, Red Cross Chief in Kenya, Abbas Guled, pointed out this factor. In terms of managing dead bodies, this undead body uh, announcement is not our business of the Red Cross, right. the business of the police and the government. And so in terms of fatalities or number of dead, I do not have that number. And as I said earlier, we were not looking at dead bodies. We were looking at wounded and injured people that needed pre-hospital care. We've taken quite a number of them to... Kenyatta National Hospital, Aga Khan Hospital, MP Shah Hospital, and I'd like to thank the management of these facilities to have opened their doors to receive these Kenyans without even initially asking for any payment. The same thing with uh, Nyanza General Hospital and the hospital in Migori and in, in Homer Bay. One of the things that people were afraid, we got lots of calls telling us there are people with gunshot wounds, come and take them. When we decided to go and look out for them for a number of reasons, we were told they were afraid to come out for fear that if they were taken to hospital, they then they would be arrested by the police by the virtue of the fact that hospitals will have to report of an injured person with a bullet wound they would have to legally report it what we have done since then is to talk to the government and i have assurances from the government uh, that we would uh, can pick anyone that was injured with either bullet wound or any other form of injury take them to hospital let them be treated i have i have access to the to the government and we've had discussion with the authorities with the inspector general and with, uh, with the CS Matiangi who have been very forthcoming and say we let you do your work as Red Cross and will not interfere and I'm very happy for that. So I want to say to anyone who would say that he or she has been shot and they are afraid and in fear of being arrested. The Kenya Red Cross chief Abbas Kuled has this message to young people in the country who reportedly from the majority of protesters as well as politicians from the ruling and opposition parties. I really want to urge the young people and even the political leaders from all walks on both sides of the aisle that look, I mean, let us have access, let us do our work, please do not interfere. We are not being pushed by anybody. We are independent, neutral humanitarian organization and our work is, is really to reach the most vulnerable at given time of crisis like this. I want to thank for the communities of the young people in uh, Nairobi and in Nyanza who gave us access today to reach those needed our support. Unfortunately, there was a statement made by, I think, the regional police uh, boss in, uh, in in Nyanza about a week ago, and where he said they were prepared and they had body bags uh, prepared, uh, first aid kits and all that as part of their own preparedness. And when he was further questioned, he also, by and unfortunately, mentioned the name of Red Cross, saying that Red Cross also normally have these things and they also are prepared. Yes, of course, having seen what happened 207, 208, and all the years we've had pre-election violence in this country in the last, uh, uh, you know, 20 years and five general elections that we've had. This particular time, um, I was really happy that we didn't have 
pre-election violence. What we are seeing now is a, a bit of a post-election violence, and I hope and pray it comes to an end. It comes to an end immediately because it's not worth losing one life. That was Abbas Guland, chief of the International Committee of the Red Cross branch in Kenya, reporting for Channel Africa. This is James Shimanyula. Let's go back in time to today in 1882. Gatrayo travels to London to request that he should be restored as a king of the Zulu kingdom in South Africa. Prior to his visit to Britain, he was exiled to the Cape region after losing the crucial Battle of Ulundi during the Anglo-Zulu War against Sir Freire and his men. That was today in history in the year 1882. It's 8.12 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe has pledged support to his counterpart in South Africa, Jacob Zuma. Mugabe's support comes at a time when President Zuma is having challenges in his own country with the opposition baying for his head over the alleged state capture issue. Meanwhile, as Mugabe took a long and winding route in the history of SADC, his own deputy, Emerson Mnangagwa, was being airlifted to hospital from the rally for alleged food poisoning. Details remain sketchy, but Mnangagwa is alleged to have tendered a resignation a few days ago over abuses he received in public from the First Lady, Grace Mugabe. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. A few days ago, former president of South Africa, Tabumbeki, was in Harare and allegedly held private mediation meetings with President Robert Mugabe, his vice president, Emerson Mnangagwa, and military chiefs. This was after Mnangagwa, regarded as the possible successor to Mugabe, had tendered a resignation citing abuse by the First Lady Grace Mugabe. Surely for Mugabe, no other regional ally could be worth supporting other than President Jacob Zuma, as both leaders are facing similar challenges in their own backyards. Whatever the South Africans or some of them might say about him or against him, we just relate to him in a proper way. He is the current president of the ANC. And it's with the ANC Congress, that is the Congress of South Africa, National Congress, that we have for a long time had a partnership. And it is that which we continue to relate to. Mugabe said his ruling ZANU-PF survived owing to the support by fellow comrades in South Africa and the region as a whole. Either in Zambia, Angola, South Africa, remain our comrades because we were in the same trenches with them. That friendship which we created during the struggle continues to be the friendship will work with him in uh, 
developing our countries and sharing ideas. That's why there was a creation of Southern Africa Development Community SADC. On the employment of youths, Mugabe promised jobs will be created soon through the reconstruction of the national airline, railway and road infrastructure. To improve our railway system and we are succeeding in trying to improve our airways. Not in 10 years, but in 2-3 years you will see some change. Change which will also mean the employment for our youths. Sagao youths must not give up. You must have the necessary skills. Develop your skills. As Mugabe continued with his rhetoric, his deputy, Emerson Mnangagawa, was being airlifted to hospital after he started vomiting while at the rally in Gwanda. According to reports, Mnangagawa had been poisoned adding that he suffered serious reaction after taking some ice cream served at the event. Details are still not clear, but reports claim Munangagwa tendered a resignation a few days ago, citing abuse by the First Lady Grace Mugabe during public rallies. At the last rally in Chinoy, Grace told Munangagwa that he risked losing his job if he had not performed to the expectations of a husband. Mugabe, who felt alienated, avoided the resignation topic during his address at the rally and told his supporters his wife Grace was in South Africa nursing an ankle injury. In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is... Unconfirmed reports in Zimbabwe claim that Vice President Emerson Nagawa has been rushed to a South African hospital after he started vomiting while attending President Robert Mugabe's rally in Gwanda at the weekend. To find out more on this, Sakina Kwamwendo spoke to Zimbabwe's correspondent, Efet Musekiwa. It is true that the Vice President left the rally over the weekend right in the middle of Mugabe's speech, and reports are that he was vomiting and that he was losing consciousness. We understand he was uh, first taken to a hospital in Gweru, and now reports say that he has been flown outside into South Africa for medical checkup. And of course, we have to be very sensitive and uh, treat this with the necessary caution, but there have been allegations of poisoning in this instance. Can you confirm or deny, or have you heard anything in this regard? The, the allegations are there. You see, a Vice President Munangagwa, as everybody understands or knows, is is linked with a certain faction in within the, the ruling ZANPF party. And of late, developments have really, these factional wars have really deteriorated to the extent that um, whatever, such, even such an incident, even if it's, if it's not actual poisoning, people always tend to, you know, associate with the West or people tend to link it to these factional wars that are happening because this happened at a ZANU-PF event. So really people are just trying to put um, one and one together uh, trying to explain what really happened or what what occurred. Was Nangagwa the only one affected by this? Yes, apparently he was the only one and um, it, this uh, reports say that it, it happened immediately after he had had some food 
which was served in the VIP tent after after consuming the food, that's when he started vomiting. So that's why people suspect that it was actually food poisoning. But so, he's the only one that has been confirmed to have been infected. So he reportedly offered to resign last week over what he called repeated public humiliation by Mugabe's wife, Grace. And we've seen some of that um, in some of the reports that have come through from Zimbabwe. Can you talk to us about that particular uh, relationship? Some of these reports, the only challenge that we have is that these are closed-door meetings that happen between the president and his deputy. But information does tend to come out, does tend to leak every now and then. And we understand that in this incident, it, uh, he, he approached them, the, 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 the president. This was after what had happened in, uh, in Chinoy, a rally where the first lady, Grace Mugabe, openly asked or openly told the public that I'm no longer sure if uh, Munangagwa is still my friend, which uh, I think Munangagwa read as a, as a sign or, or as an indication that was coming directly from the president that he, the president wasn't sure of his actual standing. So we understand he then went and uh, approached the president, President Mugabe, and offered you know, to be to be relieved of both his duty as the vice president and also as the second secretary of ZANU-PF. Uh, the outcome of the report we also are not uh, privy to, but we do understand that the two met immediately after they met. Then he also met with um, President Mugabe and Munangago. Then they also met with former South African President Thabo Mbeki. Uh, we also don't know what they met about, but we do, we do, we do know that for a fact that they had closed-door meetings, but the, the details of the meetings we are not really sure of. That was Zimbabwe's correspondent, Effet Musekiwa, speaking to SAFM Sakina Kamwendo. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma says the ANC's constitution, specifically the section that deals with acts of misconduct by members, needs to be applied. He was responding to the ANC Youth League's call for the organization to take disciplinary action against the 26 ANC MPs who voted in favor of the motion of no confidence against him last week. Addressing the CADA's forum organized by the ANC Youth League at Pongola in the Guazul-Natal province, Zuma said the party's top six will discuss the conduct of those 26 ANC MPs who voted in favor of the failed motion of no confidence. Vusima Kosini reports. (laughs) 
the ANC Youth League in the province has accused the 26 ANC MPs of having sold the ANC to the highest bidder. The league in the province went on to name some of the ANC MPs whom it accused of having voted in favor of the motion. ANC Youth League Provincial Chairperson Kwazi Nshengu. The ANC must never allow itself to be dominated by the people who work with the counter-revolution. The ANC Mongamedi, Aukfanele, Izenaganane, Ibumele, Ushala, Napagati, Nabantu, Abasebenzele, Umbutu, Abatundese, Abasebenzele, Umbutu, Abapenefishari, Zobantu, Ungaago, Siti, Jenge, ANC, Yutli, the ANC, Maybet, Decisive, Ukosha, Bonge, Labantu, Abavote, Epalamende, Gange, Umbutu, Abatundese, According to President Zuma, the 26 ANC MPs violated the party's constitution which prohibits a member from colluding with other political parties to pursue objectives which are contrary to those of the ANC. Clause 25.17.4, having in a manner of making any appearance which could or has the potential to be or as a consequence brings the ANC into disrepute. 25.17.12, joining or supporting a political organization or party other than an organization in the alliance in a manner contrary to ANC policy. President Zuma expressed concern that the party's disciplinary committee chairperson, without naming him, is among those suspected of having colluded with the opposition. <laughs> The president also called for organizational unity in Guazunatal to guard against any attempts to create divisions in the province. the province the president concluded by calling for the restoration of unity in the alliance i am vusimakosini pongolo 
The South African Communist Party says its alliance partner, the African National Congress, should refrain from a witch hunt and acknowledge its problems. The party's Secretary General, Bladen Zimande, while speaking in Kimberley in the Northern Cape Province at the party's 96th anniversary celebrations. Media reports indicate that some in the ANC blame the SACP for supporting the recently defeated motion of no confidence against the country's President Jacob Zuma. Reginald Vitboy reports. Hundreds of SACP members attended the celebrations. It's the party's first public rally after its 14th conference in July. Speaker after speaker reiterated that the ANC is facing internal and external challenges. The party says the SACP should not be undermined. The party secretary general, Bladen Zimande, also called on the ANC to admit to its problems. We are indeed worried as the party that this thing is an anti-communist witch hunt. How do you deny problems and then you start and blame the communist party for your problems? But it always happens, comrades. History repeats itself. Marx is always right. When some of the leaders of the ANC begin to get into trouble, they blame the communists. We've done nothing other than to be a loyal ally of the African National Congress. The party called on those implicated in the state capture report not to hold leadership positions until they are cleared of any wrongdoing. Nzimande says the Gupta League's emails are an embarrassment for the country and those implicated should face the full might of the law. There are very few who are denying this image. Rather, some comrades say, yes, it happened, but let me give context as to how it happened. These images are an embarrassment to us as a nation. They are shameful. I hope the media is not right when it says our law enforcement agencies can't act because there is no evidence. The party also called on the Judicial Commission of Inquiry to be fast-tracked. It further states that public assets should be defended and close attention should be given to economic transformation. I am Reginald Vidboy in Kimberley. Let's go back in time to today in 1998. DRC President Lauren Kabila flees the capital Kinshasa as rebels advance through Congo. That's today in history in the year 1998. Good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines reports from Burkina Faso say security forces killed three suspected attackers at a restaurant in central Ouagadougou. Unconfirmed reports in Zimbabwe claim Vice President Emerson Mnangangwa has been rushed to a South African hospital and Zambia plans to drop treason charges against the country's main opposition leader and free him from prison following a deal brokered by Commonwealth Secretary-General government and legal sources. Those are the stories making headlines.
Thank you. And South Africa's ruling African National Congress leaders have called for unity in the organization with only four months left before the party elects its new president in December. ANC leaders attended the three-day Free State Province ANC Cadres Assembly in Bares. Lobbying has started in earnest for both current ANC Deputy President Sil Ramaphosa and former AU Chairperson Ngosazana Laminizuma. Ishmael Mudiba reports. ANC presidential hopeful Dr. Ngozana Dlamenizuma has called for unity in the party. Speaking at the ANC Provincial Cadres Assembly, Dlamenizuma appealed to members to be disciplined as the party in the Free State is also about to go into its elective conference. She says party members should focus on policies and not to be personal in an attempt to gain seats. Sember cannot divide us, should not divide us, unless we have ulterior motives. We must respect the structures of the movement. It is the structures of the movement that will decide, will respect their decision, and will remain disciplined cadres of this organization. We will remain true to the people's cause. Because this is a movement that is there to ensure that the people's cause triumphs. ANC Treasurer General Dr. Zulim Kize says the party must remain strong and united and not let factions divide it. Mkize says party members should emulate leaders such as O.R. Tambo. Reacting to some of the ANC members of parliament who voted with the opposition in a motion of no confidence against President Jacob Zuma, Mkise said the real threat facing the ANC is when its unity is threatened. Mkise says part of the Kedas Assembly is to rectify some of the mistakes in the organization. We are doing everything to ensure that the questions that have been raised around the auditing processes are corrected. In some instances, audits teams have been changed so that there is no question around the integrity of our membership system. We have also been focusing on these issues being cleared ahead of your conference, of your BGMs, even of the national conference. Meanwhile, President Jacob Zuma is expected to share his views with regard to the vote of no confidence against him by the opposition parties with the ANC leadership on Monday. President Zuma says it is his responsibility to raise the matter with the ANC leadership. He says the party was brought into disrepute. I'm going to be in the officials meeting on Monday to be the first officials meeting after the 8th. And I'm going to discuss there as a president to my colleagues about the situation. But that is me, perhaps using the fact that I carry some responsibility. But the question that I'm trying to deal with, do we have to ask the question or do we have to act on what are our guidance? My point of view, the ANC was put into serious disrepute on the 8th. ANC Women's League Treasurer General, who is also Minister of International Relations, Maite Mkwanamashabane says the ANC, like any other African liberation movement, is threatened by regime change forces. Regime change is possible. In other countries, they use soldiers and say, no, it's not our problem, it's the soldiers. In other countries, people march like they are marching innocently, then they remove a sitting head of state. In other countries, they say, let's dissolve parliament because some people are in a hurry. Free State ANC Deputy Chairperson Tabo Manyoni cautioned members against what he termed self-serving King Kong politics. 
Manyoni has been outspoken about the rampant state looting and the need to change the manner in which leaders are elected in the ANC. I'm Ishmael Mudiba in Paris. South Africa's housing minister and ruling ANC presidential hopeful Lindua Sisulu says she's not bothered by the ANC Women's League not endorsing her presidential campaign. ANC Women's League President Batabile Tlamini has endorsed Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma's campaign, saying it's time South Africa had a woman president. Sisulu says she's not basing her campaign on her gender, but on issues of morality. She attended a church service in Langa outside Cape Town. Tandiswa Mau was there. Arousing and jovial welcome for the minister. Sisulu had been invited by the congregation which supports her presidential campaign to speak on the topic of women in leadership. She called for the end to patriarchy which she says remains entrenched in society through culture. She says as long as inequality remains, the country is robbed of women's potential, also saying the freedom of women will determine the freedom of all within societies. She decried the loss of moral fiber in society and asked churches to take the lead. Why do we have so much drama abuse? Where are our people? Where is our religion? We can't use poverty as an excuse anymore. Not because we do not have any poverty, but because we have to find another way to join the dots. There is something wrong in our society. There's something wrong in our society when this kind of unconsciousness to evil creeps up into the government itself. Sisulu's campaign, however, has not publicly received any endorsement from the ANC Women's League, with its president Batabile Tlamini campaigning with former AU president Gosazana Tlamini Zuma. Sisulu says gender is not the basis of her campaign. I am basing myself purely on the morality of what we need to reclaim in the ANC. That is a must. I'm not basing myself on the gender issue, but I do believe that women have the potential and have the qualities that would make very good leaders, but that's not my ticket. So Matabile is... Uh, free to endorse whoever she would like to endorse. It does not affect me. It does not affect my campaign. It does not affect my message. The ANC is expected to hold its elective Congress in December with Sisulu among about seven other candidates vying for the position. I'm Tandiswamawi in Cape Town. Tuesday marks the 70th anniversary of Indian independence and the partition of the country into Hindu-majority India and Muslim-majority Pakistan. The division forced millions of people to leave their homes in the biggest forced migration in history. But some of those who chose to remain, Hindus in Pakistan, Muslims in India, are still living with the consequences. They have been deemed enemies of the nation and their property has been seized. The BBC South Asia correspondent Justin Rowlett has met one Indian man who spent the last 40 years fighting to save his inheritance. Roger, very good to meet you. Shall we go? Let's go. Mohammed Amir Mohammed Khan, Suleiman to his friends, is taking me to his ancestral home. The chauffeur shuts the door of his scruffy white ambassador car, an Indian classic, and off we go. 
I'm from a Muslim family. My family has been settled in this area for over 500 years. His family were feudal lords with a vast estate in North India, the centerpiece of which is a beautiful palace called the Kila, the Fort of Mahmudabad. The palace is stunning, vast, ornate, and in a state of exquisite dilapidation. This place is magnificent, Suleiman. It is huge. So at the peak, how many people do you think would have lived and worked here? 200, 250 thereabouts. So this was a, just keeping the keeler going was a, it was a significant enterprise. In Absolutely. A white stallion suddenly canters through the overgrown courtyard. The place is like something out of fiction. I don't mean to be rude. It is not at its best. It's it's kind. It's, it's pre- you can see stains on the walls. Some doors are missing. Windows are broken. Windows moss. boarded up. Yes, absolutely. He leads me into the stunning main hall where the family used to entertain 150 dignitaries to dinner at a time. There are portraits on the wall, but the furniture is moth-eaten. Their finest antiques long since sold. Your family live here. We still live here, but the government of India is claiming my property to be enemy property. As a result, nobody's paying for this. It's crumbling. The dispute goes back to the independence of India in 1947. And the partition of the country into Muslim-majority Pakistan and Hindu-majority India. More than 10 million people crossed over in what became the world's biggest mass migration. There was terrible violence. A million people were killed. Hindus left what is now Pakistan for India. Muslims left India for Pakistan. It was not just the country that was divided. Families were divided too. In the late 50s, my father took Pakistani nationality and that is when my family's problems began. Because when India and Pakistan went to war in 1965, the government laid claim to our properties. Now this gong that you hear is something that was given to us by the Mughals as the official timekeepers of this area. So it is this gong which determined many things as to when people went to work and when they came back. And you've been doing this since Mughal times? Since Mughal times. Okay, so we've come now. This is your this is your office? Yes, this is my office. Let's go into it. Wow, it is full of files. Well, my entire life has been spent doing paperwork and putting a great deal of effort in trying to get back what is my property and to get rid of this absurd label of being an enemy. We had to fight our case from the lowest to the highest court and in every court we won. And the Supreme Court judge said that by no 
stretch of imagination could I be considered an enemy and considered me the heir to my father's properties. But then the government went and changed the laws and the battle has begun again. The Raja is challenging a law brought in in March this year by the Hindu nationalist government of Narendra Modi. It extends the original act to include all the property of Pakistanis and their heirs. I suppose, like so many people in India and Pakistan, we're still caught up in the repercussions of partition and the acrimonious relations between India and Pakistan. An elderly servant sweeps a worn carpet, raising great clouds of dust. It settles again as he shuffles along the huge hallway. In a way, I've been forced to live in the past. And with apologies to Yeats, I feel as if I'm drowning in a beauty that has long since faded from this earth. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tavi Solohoko. Thanks, Lulu. South African workers who sustained injuries at the workplace had an opportunity to lodge claims with the Compensation Fund. Employees and families of those who died in the line of duty this week interacted with officials of the Department of Labor. Labor Minister Mildred Oliphant was among the officials who attended the Imbizo held at Kabokweni near White River in the country's Mpumalanga province. Eric Lubisi reports. We know in agriculture the law is not existing in there. I mean, we know that the workers that are not documented here that are coming either from Swaziland and Mozambique, they are not documented, they can't be able to deal with those people. So the agriculture is one of the sectors that really the farming areas is the number one. But what was worrying us most was that the municipality are number two in the list. And this is a government department. This is custodian of the law. They should be the first that says we want to be lead by example. The Democratic Republic of Congo has reinstated a value-added tax on mining company imports, a part of what miners say is a deteriorating business climate in the country. Congo's government has agreed to suspend the tax in July 2016 to help companies during a commodity price downturn and to pay down hundreds of millions of dollars in VAT reimbursements owed to the companies. Major mining companies in Congo include Glencore, Rand Gold Resources and China Molly Denim. Zambia's main supply of power for its mines, the Copper Belt Energy Corporation, has confirmed on Sunday that it has restricted the amount of electricity it supplies to Glencore unit Mopane copper mines because of a dispute over tariffs. Mopane says that it has suspended operations in certain areas after CEC restricted a power supply to its mines in both Kitwe and Mufulira.
The government in April proposed introducing a flat tariff of 9.30 US cents kilowatt hour backdated to January for mining companies instead of individually negotiated rates that have averaged 6 US cents kilowatts per hour. But mining companies opposed the plan. Namibia's finance minister has rejected Moody's decision to downgrade his country's long-term senior unsecured bond and issuer rating to junk status as premature and potentially speculative. Moody's Investor Services issued the downgrade to BA1 from BAA3, maintaining its negative outlook for the economy. Namibian President A. Gengob and Finance Minister Akala Schleuten gave assurances several weeks ago that the economy had stabilized and was on the road to recovery after the introduction of budget cuts late last year. Egypt's General Authority for Petroleum has announced on Sunday that it will hold a tender for oil exploration in the country's eastern desert. The areas open for exploration include Wadi Dara, with a total area of 50 square kilometers and Block G in West Kharib, with an area of 20 square kilometer. Egypt has been pushing for new oil and gas discoveries and speeding up production at existing fields, aiming to cut down on imports and return to exporting natural gas in the coming years. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.42 in South Africa. It's at 10.12 in Botswana and at 8.89 in Zambia. 0.76 to the British pound is 0.84 to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,286, platinum $977 per ounce. Brent crude, $52.10 a barrel. Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with athletics. Olympic champion Casta Semenya has reclaimed the World Championship title with a stunning victory in the women's 800 meters at the IAAF World Championships in London last night. A 26-year-old finished in a time of 1 minute, 55.16 seconds, breaking her own South African record. Burundian Francine Nyonsaba was second in a time of 1 minute, 55.92 seconds, and the American Aji Wilson third. This is Simenya's third gold medal in the 800 meters after she won the title in 2009 and 2011. Her performance increased South Africa's medal tally in the championship to six, including three gold, one silver, and two bronze. And in football news, South Africa's uh, Bafana Bafana coach Stuart Baxter says he never thought Zambia would come back from 2-0 down and snatch a draw with the South African senior national team during a Chan 2018 qualifier at the Buffalo City Stadium in South Africa's Eastern Cape province. Bafana and Chipolopolo drew two all in the first leg of the final qualifying round. 
think you've got to say that life sometimes is not very fair and it's not very kind. But when this group came together, I don't think there's anybody else outside of our dressing room that thought we had a cat and hell's chance. But they played, they played well and they played disciplined and they they made the most of the, of what they've got. And I think a two nil, I couldn't see a way back for Zambia because they weren't creating chances. Two one came a little bit out of the blue. I thought, I thought we were we were as dangerous on the break as, as they were on the attack. So two one came of it as a, a damp squib and I'm, I'm then thinking shall I change it shall I lock up and then Tesh just gets himself sent off so I can't I can't lock up I've got to go 4-4-1 and, and the last throw in and the last kick of the ball ends up in the back of our net be that as may Baxter says that he admires his players and is also not giving up on hopes of qualifying for Chan 2018 you know, you can say, well, you didn't do very well, but you know, the, to rearrange and readjust to 10 men in the last minutes when it's, it's get, you're getting bombarded, they were just putting the ball in, in the box from everywhere. I have to say, I think the boys are unlucky. I don't think they threw it away. I think they're unlucky. I thought the way they battled for, the, for their shirts is admirable. And I think this tie is certainly not over because on, on a better pitch, I think we can play a bit more. I'm not sure how much more Zambia's got because they played that way against us when we played them last time and they played that way this time. So I think they're going to play direct and tempo and, and so this is, not, this is definitely not over. And South African gymnastic artist Tyler Lotter says he's very excited to be part of Team South Africa. Lotter is going to represent South Africa in artistic gymnastics at the multi-coded World Student Games in Taipei, Taiwan from the 19th until the 30th of this month. Artistic gymnastics is a discipline in which athletes perform short routines ranging from 30 to 90 seconds on different apparatus. Lotta will be making her debut at the Games. I'm very excited. I've never um, done university aid before and I've, I've heard that it's really fun. My teammate Claudia has done it and she said it's like such an amazing opportunity. So I'm very excited. to. It's, it's also great because it's all the sporting disciplines together so you get to meet people and I'm, yeah, I'm just really excited for the, the experience and the opportunity. Gymnastics will form part of the country's 130-member formidable team across 10 sporting codes, which will also comprise of athletics, water polo, football, and many others. Lotta is hoping to do well at the Games. Um, I'm just hoping to achieve um, to go for a clean competition, which means no falls. And um, if that, if those results are good enough to get into a final, and like, I'll be very happy. Yeah, that is always the ultimate goal. Yes, um, I'd love to go to Commonwealth Games as well next year. So, and then make the team for Africa Games, which will also uh, Africa champion. African Championships next year and then there's also World Championships um, in Canada for gymnastics at the end, uh, in October which we are trialling for soon which is also a goal And finally with golf news young American Justin Thomas validated his reputation as one of golf's great talents when he stormed to a two-stroke victory at the PGA Championship on Sunday Thomas remained patient after a slow start, beating his time before vaulting to the front with four birdies in a sizzling seven, a whole stretch mid-round. He then held firm over the dangerous final water line three holes known as the Green Mile. The 24-year-old from Kentucky made a rare birdie at the brutal part 317th, sinking a 15-foot part to all but secure victory and a bogey at the last was academic as he cut it 68 to finish at 8th 
under 276. Fellow American Patrick Reed at 67 bogeyed the last to finish equal second with Italian Francesco Molinari and South African Louis Ostezen 70. Ostezen joined a select club of players to have finished runner-up in all four majors. His lone victory came at the 2010 British Open at St. Andrews. That's a Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Kenya's opposition leader urges people to stay away from work and Zimbabwe's vice president Emerson Nangangwa rushed to hospital. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or on WhatsApp at 277-6300-3327. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Davido with the song titled If. I love it too. I wanna dash it to you. You can have it to you. You know I got this in you. I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. There's nothing above you. There's nothing above you, above you, above you. I like your minis get you Okay, you carry this you If I tell you hey, I love you oh. My money, my body, now your own Oh, baby Party billion for the account you Versace and Gucci For your body, oh, baby No, do, no, do No, do, get a, get a for me For your love, it's too. I go to you, to you, to you. Because I know you. Say you do me, Juju. Cause I'm feeling the Juju. And you know, say nobody only. But I don't go tell you story. I gotta be your man. I gotta be your man. Let me talk to you. Say a few things. Then I'm feeling you. But it's up to you. Say you know I got you. I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. 
There's nothing above you. There's nothing above you, above you. Bridge it to you. I like your mini skirt to you. Okay, you carry dress to you. If I tell you, say I love you, oh. My money, my body, now your own, oh baby. Thirty billion for the account, yo. Yeah. Versace and Gucci for your body, oh baby. 